Our reading this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord." I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. So here we are in the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent, this season of waiting for the arrival of Jesus Christ. And the passages that we're looking at during this season, um, the theme that ties them all together is the word of life. Um, this is what in, in the letter of First John uh, uh, John says that Jesus is the word of life, and it's leading all up to, um, we're going to do a winter study up to Easter of the gospel of John. And so the word becoming flesh, and this is a word of life. And so we're looking at when God's word of life comes to unexpected places, places that are not places of life. And so uh, last week it was the word of life in the fiery furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And today it's the word of life in the valley of dry bones. And so this is the Sunday where we light the candle of peace. And I like to think of, of the Advent wreath of reminding us of these virtues or these characteristics from God that we most desperately need if we're going to live a life of faith. The things that we are waiting for, that we need from Jesus. And so last week it was about hope, because if there's anything that we need to walk the walk of faith, we need hope. Hope that the way things are in the world right now is not the way that they're always going to be. And this week we see that we need Peace. Peace in the sense of, of God bringing God's shalom that, that takes things that are broken and makes them whole, binds them back together. Peace that keeps us from falling to pieces. 
And our passage this morning from Ezekiel is a passage about peace. It's a passage about shalom. It's a passage about putting back together that which has been scattered apart. It's a passage about moving from death to life. And so those are the two things really that we're going to look at this morning. Death and what does it mean to be dead or experiencing death and life? What does it mean to live and experience life? So first death, then life. But before we get started, just a little bit of context from our passage. If you've read anything from the prophet Ezekiel, this passage is probably it. It's the you know, source of that, that classic old spiritual, you know, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. And, you know, the foot bones connected to the leg bone. That, that song. We have Ezekiel to thank for that. But Ezekiel was a prophet. And he was a prophet who was... Um, prophesying in the time of the exile. But he was unique amongst the prophets in that most of the prophets were in Israel, they were in Judah, and they were telling the people about what was going to happen, that they were going to be sent away. But Ezekiel had already been taken from Judah, from Jerusalem, and so he was in Babylon. And so he was delivering the bad news about what was about to happen um, to the people of Judah before they were taken into exile. So he was a prophet in Babylon, speaking the word of the Lord to a nation that was right near its end. And he was saying, you've turned your backs on God, and so now you're going to lose your homeland, you're going to lose your temple, you're going to lose your home, you're going to lose everything that you've known. Because you've broken the covenant, and there's consequences to that. And so this is coming. So that's what the first part of Ezekiel is all about. It's all about the bad stuff that's about to happen. And then it happens, and then Ezekiel spends the rest of his time offering words of hope. He goes from a prophet of doom to a prophet of hope and of restoration. He gives a word of life to people who feel like they're, they're dead. And that's where we are in Ezekiel 37, when, when the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says that, that he had this vision And that the hand of the Lord was upon him, and and it set him down in the middle of a valley, a valley that was filled with dry bones. And the vision that God gives Ezekiel is strikingly macabre, right? This this isn't a graveyard. In in a graveyard, everything would be nice, and, and in tombs and orderly, you know, these human remains would have had respect paid to them. But in this valley of bones, they're they're strewn about everywhere. It's not a graveyard. It's more like the site of some great massacre or horrible tragedy. It's a place that that reeks of death, death without dignity. And this valley of bones, it's a metaphor for the predicament of God's people in exile when they've been sent away, taken from their homes. That's what God tells Ezekiel in verse 11. He says, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say, so this is the bones own Predicament. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And so if you had asked the people of God, describe yourself, describe who you are, describe your situation right now, they would have said that they were dead. That exile to them was as being as good as dead. They had lost everything they had, their homes, their temple, their relationship with God. And so this language of being cut off, is the language of living under God's curse and not God's blessing. It's like being cut out of the family. It's the language of being shattered. 
rather than being whole and at peace. And this, this predicament of Israel in exile, it's just another version of the human predicament apart from the grace of God. Right? Scripture tells us we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and so all of us are like Adam and Eve and Israel in exile cut off from a life-giving relationship with God outside of the garden, outside of the land of promise. All of us, in various ways, are living with the reality that we have been cut off. That our hearts and our lives are filled with signs of death rather than signs of life. We're all in various stages and and states of falling to pieces like a pile of dry bones. So the first thing we're going to look at in Ezekiel's vision is, is what this teaches us about what it is like and it means to be experiencing death. And the first thing we experience when we're experiencing death is the valley. That's where the Spirit of God leads Ezekiel in this vision. He leads him down into the valley. And the word for valley in Hebrew is is the same word for splitting. It makes sense because a valley is, is like a narrow split in the earth. And that's the thing about a valley is, is it is narrow. It is constraining. It is confining. Its walls tower above you, and it offers no escape from your current situation. So we experience death when we feel like we're in the valley, when we feel like the walls of life are closing in on us. When we're alive, it's the opposite. It's it's like... uh, Simba in The Lion King, right? When, uh, when Mufasa shows a young Simba the land that he will control in the future. And they look out over the pride lands and he says, everything that the light touches will be yours. And he's like, what about that dark place over there? He says, don't go there. But he does. And it's full of bones. It's a valley of bones. I didn't even think of that till now. Wow. The Lion King is a basic, basically Disney's version of Ezekiel 37. Um, but right, when, when, when Mufasa shows Simba this kingdom, the possibilities seem limitless, right? The whole world is in front of him. What, what more could, could someone want that this, than this entire kingdom that will belong to him? Right? Have you ever felt that way in life? Like, man, good things are going to happen. Anything could happen. Life, life, life is limitless. It's a, it's a choose it, you're on adventure, and all the outcomes are good. You don't even need to read ahead to see which, which ones are going to kill you. If you've read a Choose It Your Own Adventure book, you know what I'm talking about. But when we're experiencing death, it's just the opposite. We're in this narrow place, a place of fear, a place without imagination of good things, but really we imagine the terrors that work, lurk around every corner because we don't know what's waiting there to get us, right? Instead of see, this future seeing open, and expansive and full of possibilities, all we see are doors shutting in our faces. Right? When we're experiencing death, we're not excited about the possibilities of what great thing God has in store for us. No, we're terrified about the next bad thing that's going to happen to us. It's not, you know, oh, what's next, God? It's, oh God, what's next? And if you've been in the valley, then you know what I'm talking about. 
So that's the first part of experiencing death, of being in the narrow place. The next aspect of experiencing death is, is we see in our passage, is this great sense of disconnection. The valley is full of bones, but none of them are put together. They're, they're just strewn about, scattered, willy-nilly. And so when we experience death, we are experiencing disconnection. I read an article this week in the New York Times, and it was this incredibly depressing story from Japan about the phenomena of what they call lonely deaths. Japan is a rapidly aging society with a very low birth rate and almost no immigration. And so uh, the culture has just drastically changed since World War II. It used to be that you had these large families and multi-generational homes with everyone living together. But now you have hundreds of thousands of people living by themselves without family, without friends, without Connection, and, and you have these suburbs that, that were built in the 1960s to contain all of the families that were exploding across the country. And now these towers are, are filled with the elderly who are living alone. No one's watching out for them or taking care of them. And it's not uncommon that people will die and no one will notice until the stench of death starts coming from their apartment. And this is obviously very terrifying for the people living there. And so the story focuses on this woman named Mrs. Ito who lost her husband and daughter 25 years before, and her great fear is that she will die a lonely death. No one's going to notice. And she doesn't even know her neighbor's names. She doesn't have any close friends. She knows one woman who lives in an adjacent uh, building or apartment who has a view of her window. And the deal, the pact that she made with this woman is that you look at my window twice a day. At night, if the sh- see the shade is closed, and in the morning, see that the shade is open. And if that's not the case, you'll know that I have died and you should notify the authorities. And so she has this hope that at least her death won't be lonely because one person is looking out for her. And there's this scene where the reporter sees them talking to one another at one of these monthly kind of gatherings for the whole complex. And, and it's, it's, it's tragically comedic because Mrs. Ito is talking to her about looking at her window and, and the woman, it turns out, has been, she lives on the third floor, and this woman has been looking at a window on the fourth floor for who knows how long. And she's beginning to show signs of dementia, but Mrs. Ito laughs it off. But this dark prospect of dying a lonely death looms over the article. And I read it, and I read it in conversation with this passage. And, and I thought, that's the truth about death that we see here in Ezekiel, that it's lonely, that it's disconnected, that it's, that it's isolating. That when we are experiencing death, we are, cut off, we are cut off from the sources of life and community that we need to thrive. So we experience death when we're feeling lonely and scattered, and we're disconnected from sources of life, love, and meaning. Death is the confinement of the valley. It's the disconnected of the uh, scattered pile of bones. And lastly, death is dry. Our passage tells us that the bones in the valley were very, very dry. And so we experience death when we experience dryness. And if you've ever felt like your life was dry, then you know exactly what Ezekiel is seeing. You've seen the heart of his vision. 
When life feels dry, it's like the reverse Midas touch. Everything you touch just turns to death. We experience dryness. Our lives are dull. They're without feeling. They're without joy. The experience of death, which is the experience of exile, is the experience of life without God. And it's narrow, and it's lonely, and it's dull. It's hopeless. So that's where God leads Ezekiel, and then he asks him a really difficult question. Son of man, can these bones live? And from a human perspective, the answer is no. Not a chance. Not in a million years. But Ezekiel is smart. He doesn't answer God's question. Directly, he answers the question with another statement. He says, O Lord God, you alone know. Because Ezekiel knows that if life is going to come to dead people and dead situations and dead places, it is going to require an act of God. It is going to require resurrection. So after showing Ezekiel this vision of what death really is, God tells him to do something audacious. He says, prophesy over these bones. See these piles of dead things just laying around there? Speak to them. Every preacher knows how Ezekiel feels speaking to a pile of dead bones, not me. But every other preacher has, has that experience of wondering, kind of a Father Mackenzie moment. You know, will anyone hear? And maybe people in the congregation have had the experience of having a pile of dry bones try to speak a word of life to you, too. But the good news is that God's word of life comes to us when we are experiencing death. That's the only way, really, that we can hear it. When we've reached the end of ourselves, our own efforts to bring and conjure up life, when we get to that place, when we get to the place where we're dry bones and we know it, then and only then are we ready to experience the revolutionary promise of resurrection. Because the promise of new life, it's not just about restoring things to the way that they were before. So we looked at what death is like, but now we want to see what life is like. And life is like being reconnected and, re- and restored in new ways. So Ezekiel prophesies to the bones and they, they start coming back together. But we can be sure of this, that they're not being put back together in exactly the same way that they were connected together before. God's putting them back together in such a way that they will never come apart again. That's one of the beautiful truths of this passage, that God is a God of new life. And new life is like, but, but actually radically unlike the old life. Resurrection means resu- re- reconnection and recreation and restoration. And so what does God bringing new life look like in real, actual practice? I can think of a few examples, but we don't even need to look much further than our own community right here. Boom. Resurrection Minneapolis. What we're doing here is unique, and it's not us doing it. It's God doing it in and through us. If I had asked you back in January 2014, David, tell me what this church you're going to pastor is going to look like in four years. 
I would not have described this. And Aldrich folks, if you had been asked that same question at that same moment, would you ever have imagined this? Yet here we are. Because God is a God of life, a God of resurrection, a God of speaking to dry bones and telling them, come back together and live. Because God wants his people to be full of life. And so if you're feeling dead right now, please believe me, brothers and sisters, God does not want you to remain that way. Because life is about reconnection and recreation, and it's, it's about more than that. Because even when these bones are fit back together and they're covered with muscles and sinews and, and tendons and, and flesh, so these are our, our, our bodies, they're still not alive. They're missing one thing, the breath of God. And the Hebrew word for breath is this beautiful word, ruah, ruach, however you want to say it. And ruach is this word that means spirit and wind and breath, and and oftentimes the meanings all get jumbled together in, in a beautiful way. And the message of Ezekiel is that we aren't really alive until we have the very life of God, the very breath of God, the very spirit of God living inside of us. Without that, we are just bodies. And a body without breath just isn't who we're supposed to be. Last Sunday, right before church, I mentioned that my grandfather, Lyle Santelman, had passed away. And he was a a great man, a remarkable man, who lived a full life for 93 years. And so after church, uh, my dad and I went to the hospital room to see him one last time. And I was going up to his room. Um, There was some dread in my stomach just about knowing what I'm going to see. Because if you've ever seen someone... Uh, who's passed, one of the strangest things is that it doesn't just quite look like that person. It's them, but it's just, there's something not quite them when you see them. There's something missing. And that something is what Ezekiel's talking about. Ruach, breath, spirit. Right? That, that, that's what we are without the breath of God in us. But when God's breath does come in to us, it fills us with life. It brings new life. It it takes our hearts of stone and and it makes them hearts of flesh. It it takes our hearts that begrudgingly obey God and it makes them ones that delight in doing God's will. It, It takes our religiosity that we use to feel smug and superior and it makes us humble. It takes our, you know, wishy-washiness and prevaricating, and it makes us solid and trustworthy witnesses to the truth. It, it, it takes our selfishness, and it turns us outward to the world. It, it, it takes our greediness and our clasping on to every last thing, and it makes us generous and live with open hands. It takes our lifeless going through the motions, and, and, it, and it fills them with new purpose. It, it takes small acts of love and makes them truly great. When God gets hold of us, he takes our dead, dry bones and makes them live and bring life in ways that apart from him are totally impossible. The last thing I want to say is that the good news of Advent is the good news of resurrection. 
Jesus comes into a world that is experiencing death in all of its narrowness, all of its disconnection, all of its dryness, and breathes new life, whole life, resurrection life, life from death life. And scripture shows us time and again that that's what God does. God brings life in dead places. He can make Sarah's dead womb conceive. He can take Aaron's rod and have it blossom. He can make streams flow in the desert. He can make those dry bones live. The message and ministry of Jesus are about peace, shalom, about taking what has been broken apart and bringing it back together. Because the opposite of peace is pieces. But Jesus came to put it all back together into something that is unbreakable. Tell me, O mortal, can these bones live? Because he lives? Yes, they can. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please pray with me.